Hey, what's up everybody? It's Shaquem Griffin here, former NFL player and now motivational speaker. And you on today's show with For The Athlete. Tune in, make sure you watch this because it's going to go down. We're going to have a great conversation. You're listening to For The Athlete, a podcast aimed at humanizing the athlete by giving them a platform to control their own narrative and tell their life stories. As always, here's your host, Brooks Huber. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to For The Athlete. I'm your host, Brooks Huber, and today we have an amazing guest on this week's episode. He needs no introduction, but I'm going to give him one anyways. He was a force on the football field, a source of motivation for many off of it, and he's never let others dictate his story. Today, he's here to share that story with us. Welcome on to the show, Shaquem Griffin. Shaquem, thank you for taking time out of your day to talk with me. How are you doing? Man, I'm doing great, man. Thanks for allowing me to be on the show today. You know, it's kind of good to have you know more conversations like this and kind of just have a great talk. I mean, I think it gives us a chance for people to, to learn who I am and kind of get a, a get a feel for me outside of the football field. So, you know, thank you for letting me join for the athlete. Well, of course, we're going to talk about your journey because you have an amazing story. And then we're also going to talk about what you're doing now because you've been doing so many amazing things in your community and helping out people around you. So I'm really excited about that. And I don't know if you've heard this before, but you have a truly inspiring story. I'm just kidding. You probably heard that all the time. <laughs> but And that story is nowhere near finished. You detailed a lot of it in your book that you published with your twin yes. brother, Shaquille, in 2019 called Inseparable. Now, I don't want to get into it too much or else it'll spoil our conversation later on. But what was the reason for coming out with it and sharing your story with the world that way? I mean, during the time, you know, I think we was working on the book during our rookie year. And for the most part, the thing that we wanted to do was to make sure everybody kind of know where we came from. You know, there's not just no story that just came out of nowhere. Like, it took a lot of hard work, you know. It's, and for me, it's, I want to be that example because, like, I feel being that, that one-handed player and being able to kind of showcase your talents, it's, it's so much doubt, it's so much fear, it's so much just everything when it comes to certain adversities and the obstacles. Like, how do I share that with other people? And for me, is I didn't know I was a motivation at first. You know, it was just me living my truth, me wanting to, you know, live my dream of playing, playing ball. And so many times, and I'm not the only one in this world who goes through it, that you're going to have certain doubt. You're going to have people doubting you and doubting your capabilities instead of allowing you to do what you do. And me being able to write the book with my brother just, just showed, like, you know what? I was blessed to have a support system that pushed me and helped me to believe something bigger than myself before I could display it to the world. And, you know, it's crazy when, even when, I, when I'm told that I'm motivational to somebody or I'm inspiring somebody, it, it still sometimes feels surreal. So, you know, me, it's just like, I'm just out there just doing what I'm doing, doing what I love. And most of the time, that's usually what we do. It's always the outside talk of telling, people telling you, oh, man, this is impossible. Or how are you going to do this? But in your head, it's like, I can do this. I know, exactly. I, know I can do this. I don't know what you're talking about. So being able to write <laughs> that book was it's just a little more of a piece to tell people, like, hey, I did go through some stuff to get here. It's not going to be easy. But if you dream and you dream big, you got to do the work. You got to go through some things to be able to accomplish and make it to that dream. I love that message because, you know, like like you said, for you, you didn't know your inspiration. You were just going through everyday life. You were doing what you've been born to do. And people yes. saw that. And, I mean, they took inspiration to it. So if people can leave reading your book with one takeaway, you kind of touched on maybe a little bit, but, like, what would you want it to be? Um, the main takeaway from that is 
especially with the book, and I know we coming out with a movie soon, so it's gonna be more in detail. The a book movie. was kind of, well, the book was kind of, it came, it came out fast, but the message that I want people to get to it is, you know what, at a certain time when I was going through so much and I was going through the adversity and I had, you know, the certain fears and I have like that, you know, that, that subtle doubt that's in the back of your head, that voice that tells you, like, are you sure you want to do this? Are you sure you want to go against what everybody been telling you that's impossible? Are you sure you want to be that person who make it possible? And for me, is even though I had that that certain fear, I had that, that, that certain feeling, the support system I had around me, like my brother, and it was during a time where it's like I was kicked out of school. You know, the head coach didn't think that, you know, football was fit for a one-handed player. And then next thing you know, I'm at home working two jobs, not knowing I'm gonna ever get back to school again. My twin brother would call me every single day to make sure that I'm staying focused, to make sure I'm still working out. Don't let the, the, the environment, don't let the situation I'm in define who I, who I am. And the thing that was a takeaway is my brother believed in me so much. And even though I was like, oh man, okay, I'll do it, I'll do it. And I still had that certain doubt. He was like, Keep believing, keep believing. He believed in me so much that eventually it woke my belief up in myself. And that's the message is sometimes you gotta know who you're around, know the people who love you, know the people who want the best for you, and know that they believe in you so much. And the only thing that we to be holding us back is belief in ourselves. It's gonna be hard, it's gonna be challenging, it's gonna be obstacles, but have that faith and unwavering belief in yourself. Somebody else already doing it for you. If you need to, you know, if you got a mom or you got a dad, you got a mentor, a brother, a friend, a best friend, or whatever the case may be, just know that their belief is strong for you. Them until yours wake up, do so. Because that's what you need to be able to, to accomplish certain things. If your belief not there, know that people who love you and believe in you, it'll wake yours up. And that's what my brother did for me is he kept telling me, keep going, keep going, keep going. And eventually it stuck on me. Like, you know what? I'm going to do this. Like, I'm all in. Like, there's no looking back. Like, if you believe this hard, why don't, why, why don't I believe that hard, too? So it's like, it woke me up. And it's like, okay, I'm locked in now. You're going to get all of me and not just one piece of me. I'm two feet in, not one foot in. <laughs> you have a great relationship with your brother, Shaquille. He titled your book, Inseparable. You say, you know, he was the catalyst for the belief that you have in yourself. How do you characterize your relationship with him? Uh, my relationship with my brother is... It's unbelievable, honestly, man, is, you know, we were so competitive just from an early age. Like, I'm talking about, just give you a story. It's kind of funny. Like, we was competing. We used to go to Denny's a lot of times <laughs> for dinner and stuff like that. And we used to always get the kids meal. We was getting kids meal from, like, nine years old all the way to 14, but that's beside the point. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> just the competition of it, like, my dad would finish. My dad will, uh, will have his food. Me and my brother would finish our food first. And then the first person who finished out of me and my brother, we get to eat the rest of my dad and my parents' food. So it's like, I'm hurry up and eating, and I'm watching my brother trying to hurry up. And as soon as I'm done, I'm trying to hurry up and eat my dad's plate. Like, yes, I won. Or we'll be walking to school, and we'll be walking on the sidewalks, and between each crack of the sidewalk, we only get two steps in between. We would walk two steps, speed walking, for like a mile and a half. You'll see two twins just speed walking in the main road, just going. And then if you take three steps, before the crack, you gotta take a step back. By the time we okay. get to school, bro, we're drenched. Like, who? <laughs> but we just compete and just, it, it was fun, but we just always competed. So when we go against somebody else, our competition level was so high because we always going back and forth to each other. So when we go against other kids, if they comp if they competitive level wasn't there, then we was gonna abuse anybody who came in front of us. But that's the that's how close we was. It, it, it built the athlete, it built the competitive nature, it built that, 
you know, that determination just to keep going for it, keep going for it because we always did it for each other. That's funny that you bring up like that walking to school story because whenever I would go to like the mall or the grocery store with my sister, we would always play that with the tiles. And if you step on like a white one or a black one, you just can't you, get and, that and, one color. So you messed up, you, you get it. Yeah, no, yeah. And then we would always like make excuses for why we did. And it was just, it was so much fun. Uh, you, you and your brother have seemingly always had each other's side ever since birth. And when you were born, you faced some complications with your left hand. Yeah. And by the age of four, things escalated to the point where amputation became necessary. Can you take us through how those complications started and the breaking point for you that led your hand becoming amputated? Um, well, the best the best way to tell it is, I was four, I had ambiotic band syndrome. So I, I initially had fingers on my hand. So I had the tish, I had tissues on my hand. Okay. Because of the ambiotic band syndrome, the bit of a cord right around my wrist, so it cut off circulation to have that bone density to grow into my fingers. So I couldn't really do anything physical. I couldn't run around. I couldn't play any sports at the time. Every time I used to hit my hand, I used to start crying because it's, it's painful, it's sensitive to touch. We had bunk beds pushed against the wall. I always had the bottom bunk. My dad, my uh, brother had the top bunk. I think I had the bottom because I was the coolest kid, but you know, don't tell hey, my brother that. Bottom bunk is the best bunk. People say it's yeah, the top. Yeah, don't, don't, hey, don't tell my, don't tell my brother go, that. No, you have to go up a ladder. Like, who wants mm. that? But there was a, it was one particular night where I rolled over and I bumped my hand on the wall and I woke up just crying, like crying, fed up, and I ran into the kitchen, crying on top of the kitchen drawer and took out a knife to try to remove my own fingers. And me trying to remove my own fingers, thank God that my mom came in and just enough time to stop me from really cutting myself. You know, being a kid and, you know, especially for, you know, me being a parent now and I can see and kind of feel how tough a situation like that can actually be. You know, I, I didn't really know, obviously, at that age, how serious it was, but, you know, having my mom be able to make that decision, like, you know what, if he's willing to remove his own figure, maybe it's time for us to make the decision to go ahead and get rid of these things. And literally the next day, <clears throat> I'm in a hospital, I'm like dragging my red wagon around. I'm thinking it's take your child to work day. I had <laughs> no idea I was going in the day for surgery, you know? And I remember my mom was like, hey, come, come in the room. And it's crazy, I'm four years old, so everything is kind of like blurs. But I remember like bits and pieces, like the red wagon carrying it. My mom said, come in this room real quick. And next thing I'm laying down in bed and they put the mask over my face. That's the worst. Fell asleep, oh. <laughs> fell asleep woke up with bandages on my hand. I'm like, I don't know if it was the anesthesia. I don't know if the medicine still kicking in. I'm like, what is happening right now? And I remember my mom telling me, don't go outside and don't go play football. I don't want you coming in with a dirty bandage. One ear out the other. I'm literally the same day after surgery, I'm outside playing with my brothers. I'm not that kid on the wind. I'm not that kid looking at the window like, man, I wish I can play. Hearing everybody saying, touchdown, touchdown. I'm like, man, I can't wait to play out there. That same day after surgery, I went outside playing football and I walked in the house with a football. Yes, I had a dirty bandage. You guys out there thinking about it. And yes, I got in trouble, but it was worth it. I would do it all over again. <laughs> you would do it all over again. <laughs> Well, that's incredible. So, was there any talks that maybe like your hand would become fully developed at one point, or was that was that ever a thing, or no? I mean, you know what? You know what's funny? That's the first time I ever got asked that. Honestly, you know, now that I'm older, I knew that it was no chance of it growing back. But when I was a kid, like I used to thought, I, was, I used to tell other kids like it's gonna grow back, like no trip. 
gonna grow back. Not knowing that, like, really, the, the surgery I had is I removed all that stuff. So it's like, I'm yeah. not a tree, you know? <laughs> I'm not gonna just grow new limbs. But I used to, like, when I was young, I used to really thought, like, hey, by the time I'm 15, I'll have a poor hand again. Like, no hurry. Come on. <laughs> but I was like, I'm just talking. Like, I'm just like, yeah, it'll come back. Like, what happened to your hand? Well, I had to remove it, but it's gonna go back. That's what it's supposed <laughs> to do. It's gonna grow. No, it didn't. As, as, as I'm getting 15, 16, I'm like, my hand didn't do nothing over the last few years. There's yeah. not growing back. And so it's so funny. I used to really thought that it was my hand was gonna grow back. But like, even like when like like the tissues were there, like before you had amputated, was there any like talks about being fully developed or? No, it was no way because okay. So me and my brother was 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 inside my mom, and we was very close to each other. So when mm -hmm. the umbilical cord got around my wrist. They had the chance to remove it to save my hand. But initially, after having that, well, like I said, when I was older, starting to learn more information about what happened to me, my mom was like, she had the chance to remove the umbilical cord to save my hand, but it could have wrapped around my neck, it could have wrapped around my brother's neck. So it would have been more dangerous than, okay, just let them have the hand. Let it, like, no worry about it. Do not touch nothing. And that's what the answer was. My mom was like, don't remove the umbilical cord. I don't want to risk none of my babies. So it's just like they can the hand whatever comes out we'll deal with it from there. So initially my mom and my parents already knew that I was going to have a, a fully formed hand. And once I came out, like it was literally small little fingers, just straight just tissue, like no bone density whatsoever. So it's like it had no way of growing because of the lack of you know circulation it had. It, it was literally being killed while I was inside of my mom. So when I came out and they seen the tissues, there ain't really much you can do but just adapt to what's what's happening. Right. And even though like getting older and you know, I was a I'm not saying a bad child, but I had a lot of energy. So I used to climb <laughs> on things. I used to, you know, I used to really go after it, you know. So I used to get like little cuts on my fan. I used to so it's just like I would always put myself in harm's way, but I was a kid, like I didn't really learn my lesson and I'll go do something again. And it's just like <laughs> it's funny because I kind of really probably did hurt myself a lot when they came to that. Like I didn't, I don't think I really protected my hand. I was just, I want to go do this. I want to go do this and come back crying like, what is happening? Ah! <laughs> and then I go do it again. So it's just like <laughs> I can see why I was four and I was fed up. I was like, I can't keep doing this. Like every time I go do something, I'm hurting myself. But <laughs> no, it was no way that my hand was going to be able to, to grow back because it, it was already dead before I even came out. So it was really much you can do. It was nothing but just adapt. But honestly, I always tell people today is, you know, people are like, oh man, how did it feel to lose your hand? I was like, honestly, amazing. Like I didn't really lose nothing. I gained the ability to go out, to go outside and play. Like I'm not the guy, the boy in the window. Like I wish, I wish, I wish. I can go do something. Like I can go dream about something. I can go believe in something. I can go, you know, chase something now. Like there's not no limitations to what I can do. Like. So I gained so much from removing that just piece. Like I didn't lose nothing, I gained everything. That's a great way to put it. And that must have been a really tough decision for your mom. And it's it's a kind of funny how you mentioned that you were even at before birth, you and your brother were right by each other's side. And you mentioned how strong your relationship is to brother brother and how you two are inseparable. But when college offers came around, it looks like you two may be going your separate ways soon. That was until UCF stepped in. How did that scholarship offer from UCF come about? And what were the conversations that you and Shaquille had that solidified you both going to school there? So when we was nine years old, we created a pack. Like the little picky promise with a kiss, like we're locked down, you better not break it. 
And the pack was, was gonna go to the same school, was gonna get the same degrees, was gonna marry twin girls, and was gonna live in the same house. <laughs> so it's just like, hey, we're gonna check these boxes off, we're gonna pinky promise of this, and let's do it type of thing. But it's so crazy, because like, I used to tell people, like, I had a lot of offers too, like I had like 28 offers, just my brother had more than that. <laughs> and, you know, even though we had this package deal, like it's crazy because even when my brother got his first offer from the University of South Florida, and that's 30 minutes from where we from where we from. That's right there in Tampa. And you know, I can I can see my first offer from like UMass or something like that. And you know, doing the recruiting processes, you know, my brother used to get Florida State, used to get Florida. And I'm thinking like, man, they're gonna pull me out my classroom. Like I'm watching my brother walk out of the classroom. I'm like, hey, you're missing. <laughs> you're missing someone. You're missing someone. <laughs> like you wanna tell my teacher I can go, or should I wait in here? Should I just Okay, I'm just gonna go back to work. <laughs> and it's just like <laughs> I'm like, doing algebra. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I'll finish. No worries. I was I didn't want to go leave anyway. So, but <laughs> during that time, during the recruiting, something that something that stood out was when he got the offer from USF, and then I was wondering why I didn't because I'm a hometown guy who's getting highly recruited. At the time, I was a three star going on a four star. So I'm like, okay, why is I'm not getting recruited from the hometown? Like. You would think that would be the first one, and then what happened was once I once I talked once I talked to the recruiter, there was like, well, the head coach want to see you do more. And, you know, I, I'm guessing he's like he don't believe that I'm doing enough on the field. Where he's like, well, come mm -hmm. to a camp. I'm inviting your brother, and I want you to come to the camp also. I got to USF camp, and my brother said I'm going to sit out and let my brother shine on this camp. So he sat out, and all of the four stars, five stars that was getting recruited from USF. I went against all of them. I didn't get not one ball the entire hour and a half and during that camp, not one ball caught on me and I had three interceptions. And I'm talking about, I'm talking straight mess. Like, you talking about this is your best recruit? Where's the five stars? Cause I ain't seen the stars yet. I ain't seen the stars yet. Give me somebody. So, and my brother, and then my brother beside me like, come on, talking to all the coaches, like walking up, like, what's up? Like, you can't do this camp, y'all just, just gonna let us run all over y'all like this? So it's just like we hyping up, and that's the thing where it's just like he right. that that he my cheerleader right now. So it's just like y'all better bring it. And I'm like I'm all in now. Like he give me more juice. Like I'm gonna put hands on anybody who think they can beat me. And like, but I had that image in my head. Remember that competitive nature, right? You know the hardest the hardest competitor I ever went against was my brother. And anybody else, if you ain't ready to bring it, if you feel like you're on that high horse, I'm gonna knock you off that horse. I'm I'm, I'm gonna grab. I'm gonna put my hands on you. I'm gonna knock you off that horse. And after the camp, after I had all them great plays, the head coach invited us to the office and gave me an offer that same day. I turned it down. <laughs> I said, nah, you missed, I said, you missed the train now. And after that, it was starting to be a thing where it's like, now my brother getting interviews and he's telling Florida State, Florida, like, if you ain't taking my brother, don't worry about offering me because we're going as a package deal. And that's when, you know, other schools started coming in like UCF. And UCF is thing is it was right there in Orlando, and we wasn't a, we wasn't big on leaving the state, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So we had like you know K State, we had you know NC State, we had other schools out the state wanting to offer us both, but we didn't want to leave the state. Once we got to UCF, the head coach told us I can't take one without the other. So if one of you want to come and one of you don't, well I can't give none of the scholarships, and that kind of like, wow, mm -hmm. he wants us that bad. Like even if I didn't want to come, like he won't take you. So it was like, we committed the same day. We committed on the spot. We on our way to UCF. And it's just like, we thought everything was just fantastic. It was perfect. But honestly, that was just 
the beginning of me having to go through more obstacles when we committed to UCF or actually went there. Well, yeah. So your brother, he balled out from the start. He rose up the depth chart really fast. Yeah. Um, you had a different route there. You really didn't seem to hit the field as hard until your junior and senior season. When took a little you finally minute. saw what? <laughs> I said, yeah, it took a little minute. <laughs> it, it did take a little minute, but you, when you finally saw the field, how did you make sure you never got off it? It's funny. Uh, my first play, man, I was throwing up all over the place. <laughs> this is like I waited three years. We got a new coaching staff. I finally worked my way up to starting. And then my first game of the season, I'm chasing the ball across the field, and I'm literally throwing up all over the field, like, as I'm running, like, Ugh! Ugh! I'm just throwing up, dude. And I don't know if it's just like, I didn't know, I didn't know anything about anxiety then, but I think that's probably what it was, like, all the emotions, everything, because it's just like, this moment has been, it took a long time from playing side by side with my brother, and I'm playing now side by side in the senior year. Like, I waited years to even get to this, this moment. So it was that first play, I'm over here just throwing up and I'm going back to my brother like, I don't know if I can do this, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. And my brother grabbed my hand was like, bro, you couldn't breathe, you wouldn't be talking. <laughs> He's got so a you point. Right. And I literally like, that literally immediately calmed my nerves. like, wow, you're right. <sighs> I can't breathe. <laughs> and he was like, bro, you waited this long to play football, just play, bro. Like, you know what I'm saying? You're like, your whole life. I'm proud of you, like, go, go have fun now. Like, I'm like, you right. And then boom, 14 tackles later, two and a half sacks, you know what I'm saying? Forced fumble, four tackles for a loss. It's just like, I finally, I'm, I'm finally here now. And then next thing you know, I'm going right. home. And the next morning, my name is on the radio. I was like, oh my goodness, like, this is happening all right now. It was unbelievable, bro. Like, the first game is just now I'm on the radio. I got people calling me. You know, I end up being put on billboards and stuff. I was like, this is really happening? And then boom, 18 and a half sacks later during the season, I'm defensive player of the year, first year playing. Hey everyone, Brooks Huber here. That's gonna be the end of the first part of the Shaquem Griffin interview. I appreciate everyone who has watched this far. You guys are the best. Huge shout out to Shaquem Griffin for coming on the show and huge shout out to his representative, Chris, who brought this to his attention. Keep your eyes peeled for part two in the coming weeks. Hope you all liked this episode. Thanks again for watching. And I'll see you all next week. Thanks for listening to For the Athlete. As always, be on the lookout for another athlete appearance next week. Make sure to follow us on Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, and wherever you listen to podcasts.